There is a version of Christianity that will tell you that if you have enough faith in God, that all your problems will essentially go away. This is sometimes referred to as the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. And, and what it teaches is that with enough faith, you can live a healthy, comfortable, victorious life. That you can have your best life now. And in this view, the goal of Christianity really is essentially to avoid suffering. And, and this sells, I think, especially to our culture because we are desperately obsessed in the United States with individual fulfillment and immediate comfort and happiness. Zach alluded to this earlier. There are, there are entire industries really built around this idea of comfort and health and certainly wealth. And so this sells, this preaches, this is, a, this is a growing movement, not only in our culture, but it's being exported to other cultures and other countries in the world. There's a more subtle version of, of this teaching that would simply have us believe that there is a way of following Jesus in which we never get into trouble. That you can have Jesus and the American dream. And I'll admit to you that it's a really appealing idea. Because none of us want to face trials, right? I mean, no, no one wakes up and says to themselves, man, you know what I really hope for today? I really hope for some suffering. That would be, that'd be great. I hope I get a good trial this afternoon, you know? None of us are thinking that way. If you are, then you might need to go talk with a counselor. Be good for you. And yet what scripture tells us is, is that suffering is not only part of life in a fallen world, but that it's also an integral part uh, of what it means to follow Jesus. So these are Jesus' words. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. He goes on a little later and he tells his disciples again, in the world you will have tribulation. The Apostle Paul would write to the Roman believers that the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And in our, in, in our study of 1 Peter, this is now the fifth time we've come to the theme of suffering in this short letter. In, in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Peter really starts the letter by exhorting believers to endure various trials. We come to it again as, as Peter is addressing uh, the unjust treatment of masters towards slaves. And he tells them to endure unjust suffering. In chapter 3, Peter deals with the topic of suffering righteously. And then as he begins chapter 4, he takes us again to this theme of suffering and exhorts believers to suffer in the pattern of Christ. And now here we are again at the end of chapter 4 dealing with suffering. And I'll admit to you that I was tempted to jump past this text to chapter 5 because by this point I'm going, how much more can we say about suffering? But as I was wrestling through this, Pastor Brett said to me, maybe, maybe God has us here for a reason. 
And I've sat on that statement this week. Why does God have us here? I think this is a critical question for us. For me, preaching is, is more than getting up here and simply unpacking what a text says. It's not less than that. But I believe that preaching is more than that because I believe that it's my job as the preacher to help you, the listener, come to see how the particular text we're looking at is important in your life. It's exposing the text in such a way that you connect with it and are led to respond to it in faith. And so here's the dilemma I feel with a text like the one we're in this morning. How is this text crucial for our lives? How does does this passage come to bear in our hearts when most of us aren't facing a lot of suffering in our daily lives, specifically for following Jesus? That's the context here. Peter is talking to believers who are being ridiculed and maligned, who are suffering for their faith in Jesus. I think that especially for us in the U.S., Without even consciously thinking about it, we can absorb this idea that because we live in a country that was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, and because the Declaration of Independence insists that every person is endowed certain unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that somehow the Bible's message on suffering doesn't apply to us. Maybe you've been tempted to think that if we can just get the right officials in place and if we can get the right legislation in place, that we can govern our way right out of suffering that the New Testament talks so much about. Or maybe just more simply, you've been tempted to follow Jesus right up to that point where it might cost you, but no further. I was drawn to Jesus' temptation in the wilderness as I was thinking about this. Do you remember how the devil tempted Jesus? Matthew records for us that again the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. What, what is going on here? What is Satan tempting Jesus with? What is this temptation really about? What Satan was offering Jesus was a way to inherit a kingdom without suffering. This was a way to get a kingdom without a cross. And isn't that what we're tempted to want? A kingdom without a cross. And yet we remember the words of Jesus who told his disciples that if anyone would follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, whoever would want to avoid the cross will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Jesus tells us that that, that his way is the way of the cross. That the road is marked with suffering. There are places in the world where this is readily obvious. I, I, I got an email this week from a brother who's a missionary somewhere in Asia that I can't give any more detail about. 
asking for us to pray for him, but also for his friends because the persecution in the area where they are doing ministry is increasing. And, and specifically, there's a particular friend, we're actually gonna pray for him later in our service, who was just thrown into prison because of his faith in Jesus. Pastor Sean, who pastors our, our Lao Thai Fellowship, recently shared with me that after our trip to Laos, we, we did a training in Laos with some local church leaders. And after we returned home, the local church, one of the local church leaders went back to his village only to discover that he had lost his job. That somehow it had gotten out that he had come to the capital city for a Bible training. And so they had fired him, they had ostracized his family, and his family was forced to move to a new village as a result. And if you're like me, you, you hear that and you feel sympathy for this man. But maybe you also feel a slight sense of relief that you don't have to deal with such things. Francis Chan tells the story of a man at his church coming up to him one day and accusing him of being too radical. He said, Francis, you just think that God calls everyone to be radical. But you gotta understand that there's this middle road where people profess Christ and they do some good things and you're just neglecting this middle road. And, and in a way that only Chan can, he quipped, isn't this amazing? They found a middle road. You know, Jesus says that there's this narrow road that leads to life. And then there's this broad road that leads to destruction, but they found this middle road. <laughs> Friends, I think part of what I feel compelled to say to us this morning is that there just isn't a middle road. That we are not exempt from the suffering that comes as a result of being a Christian. That following Jesus, if, if you and I are truly following him, it's gonna at some point inevitably get us into trouble. Now this doesn't mean we go looking for it and it doesn't mean that we define that, right? But it does mean that if we're not experiencing any suffering, then there's pause, there's reason for pause to examine the way that we're living our lives. I think this passage, one of the things that it needs to do for us is, is to provoke us to consider our lives. What sort of lives are we living? Because I think one of the things that Peter is showing us is that if we're living lives devoted to Jesus, that it's gonna get us into some good trouble, as the late John Lewis would put it. When's the last time your faith got you into trouble? I want you to notice Peter's caveat in this passage, by the way. He says, don't suffer as a, as a, as a murderer, right? Don't suffer as a thief. Don't suffer as an evildoer or even a meddler. There, there's a good way to suffer and there's a bad way to suffer. There's the kind of suffering that comes from poor decisions and bad behaviors. Peter says, don't, don't be about that, right? But there's a good kind of suffering, the suffering that comes from actually following Jesus. And Peter actually says, this is, this is good suffering. It's interesting to me, if we can just take a little sidebar here, that, that Peter goes, murderer, evildoer, thief, those are all pretty big sins. And then he tacks on this fourth one, meddler. <laughs> don't suffer as a murderer. Don't steal. Okay, we're still in the big 10, right? Don't be an evildoer. That's just like a generic term for don't be a really bad person, right? 
don't be a meddler. Makes me wonder why he added that one. Some have speculated that perhaps some of the believers in Asia Minor were were censuring the behaviors of outsiders on the basis of, of the claim of a higher moral authority, that they were policing everybody, they were interfering in relationships and causing discord and making these aggressive attempts at conversion. And so Peter says, hey, don't be meddlers. That could be the case, or it could just be that the Holy Spirit knows us all too well, because I certainly know some Christians who are suffering today because they're meddlers, mainly online, mainly on Twitter, pretending as if they're martyrs for the cause, when in reality they're just stirring up trouble. And Peter says, don't suffer for meddling. Don't needlessly stir the pot and create issues and get in people's business and force your faith on people and then act surprised when they don't like you, right? Don't, don't suffer as a meddler. We shouldn't be known as Christians for stirring the pot. We shouldn't have a reputation for meddling. If, if you're spending all of your time engaging in theobroed battles on Twitter, stop it. Peter, in fact, wants his readers to avoid attracting hostility, if at all possible. But to do so without renouncing their faith in Christ, right? And that's the catch. Because you can still get into trouble. Gracious kind, committed faith in Jesus will still bring ridicule. You can be warm and winsome in your witness of Christ and still get accused of bigotry and stirring the pot. And some of us are perhaps believing the lie that if I'm nice enough, I won't have to suffer for my faith. Listen, you, you should be kind and gentle and lowly like Jesus. That didn't keep him out of trouble. These verses challenge each of us to consider our lives, to ask, am I living faithfully as a follower of Jesus and am I ready and willing to suffer for the name of Christ? And I just wanna hold that before us and say, I think we need to wrestle with that. I don't know what else to do with it, but to go, I think, I think it's worthy of us wrestling with that question. But there's a second aim here with this passage, and that's to prepare us for when the day actually comes. What Peter seems to be telling us is that for every believer, at some point, we can anticipate suffering for the name of Christ. And you know, suffering for our faith holds the potential to be incredibly disorienting right? I mean, here we are trying to follow Jesus. We're trying to be faithful to Jesus, and it's leading us into hardship. If I'm honest, when I think I'm living well for Jesus, I subconsciously expect to be rewarded for that. I tend to think that, that what my faithfulness deserves is honor, not suffering. And what Peter says is, hey, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes on you, as if something strange or unusual were happening to you. Translation, Christians who suffer is normal Christianity. I was brought to Hebrews chapter 11, you know, this, this hall of faith, these, these heroes of the faith, these men and women who were faithful. And in the hall of faith, the author recounts these times where they were victorious and conquered kingdoms and did all these incredible things. But then the author goes on to say this, other people were tortured, 
not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They died by the sword. They, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. The Apostle Paul told his mentee Timothy, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Suffering's part of the Christian program. Peter says that we should not be surprised when it comes. This has been the experience for most believers throughout church history. And so he says, don't be surprised by that. But, but in addition, he says, we need to have a healthy perspective of what's going on in our suffering. We need a healthy perspective of our suffering. And so Peter is going to give us three things to help us endure when we find ourselves reviled for the name of Christ. And so when this day comes, Peter says, here, let me give you some things to help you. He's going to tell us three things. Number one, God is working so you can rejoice. Number two, God is with you so you can revel. And number three, God is worthy of your trust, so you can rest. Let's look at these quickly, one at a time. Number one, in your suffering, God is working, so rejoice. In verse 12, the word translated in our Bible's fiery ordeal is the Greek word purosis. And it refers to the idea of a purifying fire. We saw this back in chapter one where, where Peter talks about these various trials that, that come at us. And he says that what those trials are actually doing in us is, is what a smelter does with gold. That as we're heated up by affliction, that it's burning away all of the impurities so that what's left is the pure thing. Suffering purifies. It's, it's a major part of God's sanctification process. The smelter reveals the dross that can't otherwise be seen. You know, if you look at a piece of metal, it can look pure. But when you heat that metal up, it actually exposes all of the impurities, all of the dross that's in it. It's only, it's only in, in, the, in the heating up of that metal that, that the impurities are revealed. And that's one of the things that suffering does in our lives. It, it reveals the idols in our lives of, of comfort and, and control and approval. And it's through the fire of affliction that God is actually sanctifying us by freeing us from placing our, our hope in anything other than Jesus. This is the idea that he's getting at in verses 17 and 18 when he says, for the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. When, when, what Peter means when he says the time has come for judgment to begin with, with God's household is that God is actively purifying his church. This idea of judgment is actually purification. He's purifying us through suffering and affliction. And he says that a righteous person is saved with difficulty, meaning that we're saved through suffering. God doesn't save us and sanctify us and glorify us without Suffering being an integral part of that. It's just part of the process. In God's wisdom, this is how he makes us more like Jesus. God intends to melt away all of our divided loyalties. He intends to melt away all of the impurities in our hearts 
until what is left is only pure love for Jesus. He's committed to refining his children. The author of Hebrews tells us to endure suffering as discipline because God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you're without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If you go through your life without any suffering, what the author of Hebrews is saying is, you may not be a son or a daughter of God. Because suffering is discipline. And even human fathers know this, right? We do our best, but God always does what's right for our holiness. I was thinking about this in my life as I've had these moments where I've actually had to lead my boys into suffering. Like I think about the first time I took Deacon to the doctor's office after he was born. And this poor boy is looking me in the eyes with full trust, not knowing that he's about to experience pain. And when he gets those shots, there's this look like, you've betrayed me, Dad. Why did you bring me in here? And it's gut-wrenching. But you know that those shots are for his good. Or maybe you've broken a bone before that had to be reset. You ever had a bone reset? Sometimes they actually have to re-break the bone to set it right so that it can grow the right way. There's pain in the process, but it's for your good. And what Peter is telling us is that in our suffering, it's never meaningless. That there is no such thing as empty suffering for the child of God. That all suffering is from the loving hand of a good father. Even though it's painful, Peter says you can rejoice in your suffering because of Christ. Because God is at work in your life. I, I was struck as I studied this week by Peter's language in verse 13. He says, he says, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. Rejoice that you may rejoice. Rejoice now so that you may rejoice later. Friends, there is a day coming when those who endure all the way to the end in faith will rejoice at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When, when those who persevere in allegiance to Jesus will stand before him complete. I want you to imagine that. Get a mental image in your brain of standing in the great throng of believers in jubilation as Jesus descends to the new heavens and the new earth and takes his throne. I want you to imagine the joy of that day. Because every trial you endure here and now is preparation for that moment. Won't it be worth it? And so Peter says, rejoice even in your sufferings because that's going to keep your eyes focused on the coming day when Jesus is revealed in glory. The suffering you experience now is a pointer to that event. And so and Peter's saying, don't lose sight of that day. Rejoice that you may rejoice in your suffering. God is working. So believer, you can rejoice. Number two, in your suffering, God is with you. So you can revel. In verse 14, Peter says that if you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are actually blessed. But I want you to notice why you're blessed. 
What does he say? He says, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. We, we naturally tend to view pain as God's displeasure. We, we, see, we see it as punishment. When we're suffering, we, we tend to fear that God is nowhere near, that he's not in this situation. But Peter's saying just the opposite. He's saying that God is never nearer than when we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. This is mysterious. I, I don't completely understand it. But when you find yourself in a moment of suffering for the name of Jesus, what Peter is telling us is that God is uniquely close by. Just think about Stephen as he was being stoned to death by an angry mob in Acts chapter 7. As they grit their teeth at him and, and they literally kill him, what we read is that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and that he gazed up into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In the moment of his affliction, God was uniquely with him. Peter says that when you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. This, this resting language, this resting imagery recalls Jesus' own baptism. Do you remember Jesus' baptism? It says that he went out in the water and the heavens were rent open. I don't know what that means, but it sounds pretty cool. And, and this spirit like a dove descended on him and came to rest on him. Do you remember the very next thing that happened? It says that Jesus was immediately led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. But do you remember the voice of God that spoke over Jesus before he was let out? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus went into the desert with the security of his Father's love. Friends, if you are in Christ, God speaks that over you. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. He is well pleased with you. His spirit rests on you. He is with you. You are never nearer to God than when you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And so verse 16 tells us that if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Don't be ashamed, is my word, revel. Marvel and smile and worship God that he has drawn so close to you and counted you worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus and give him glory. Suffering is a unique opportunity for the believer, perhaps unlike anything else in our lives, to demonstrate to the world the security and the satisfaction that Jesus gives us. It's, it's in our suffering that the world looks at us and go, you should be despondent right now. You should actually be speaking against your God right now and you're reveling because Jesus gives us security and Jesus satisfies us even in our suffering. It is a provocative thing, church, to revel in the midst of our suffering. Who else can do that but Christians? I recently watched Peggy Holman do this. In her suffering and in her pain, she reveled in Christ. She had a joy like you wouldn't believe with terminal cancer. At the moment where it would seem like she should be most hopeless, she knew that God was working. And she knew that she had never been closer. 
So what may have seemed like an occasion for questions and doubt was actually for her a moment for her to glorify God. Suffering is an opportunity to step into deeper surrender. And this leads to the last thing, which is this, that God is worthy of your trust. And so release yourself to his sovereign care. Look at verse 19. So then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing good. Here is the bedrock promise from this passage. God is a just judge. And he's going to make everything right in the end. And so we don't have to do anything more than yield our lives to his sovereign hand and persevere in doing good. One day at a time, one step at a time. Follow Jesus faithfully. Rest in his sovereignty because God's got you. I had a friend back in Birmingham. His name is John Runyon. John was this enigmatic guy. I met John when he was basically homeless and we struck up a friendship and oh, there's stories to tell. But John was, was deeply spiritual. He, he, he spent a lot of his time reading his Bible and listening to sermons. And, and John had these sayings, these sort of like aphorisms that he would often repeat. And, and one of them has stayed with me. And here's what it is. John would say this all the time to me. He would say, Andy, God gives us everything we need and everything he gives us we need. God gives us everything we need and everything he gives us we need. This is what it is to release yourself into the hands of sovereignty. God gives us everything we need. He will provide. In my suffering, he's going to see me through because he is faithful and good and true. He gives us everything that we need. No good thing does he withhold from those who are righteous. In Christ, I am righteous. He will withhold nothing that is good for me. God gives us everything that we need. And everything he gives us, we need. In God's perfect wisdom, sometimes suffering is needed. Sometimes trials are necessary. God is working in me. And so in that suffering, I have the opportunity to receive it as a gift and to press on in faith. God gives us everything we need and everything he gives us we need. Let's pray together.